Today we come to Psalm 101. It's a psalm of David. David says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. O when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbour secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favour on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Amen. Okay, well this, this is God's Word. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Andrew, if I haven't got to meet you yet, or Drew, as you might hear me referred to. And um, as we just heard this morning, we're continuing in our, in our time in the book of Psalms, um, particularly in book four of the Psalms, uh, this collection of, of songs that were being sung uh, during the exile in Israel's history. Now, next week will actually be our final psalm in, uh, in this short series. We're going to be, be uh, the week after, we'll begin a new series in 2 Samuel. Uh, and that'll take us through the next few months. And so if you're looking for something for your devotions, you might like to read 1 Samuel over the next few weeks, just as a bit of a, a run into that. Uh, before we come to the sermon, just got a couple of uh, updates, announcements for you. Um, firstly, to give you an update on the, the mission fund. And so, um, praise the Lord, we're, we're now just shy of $60,000 pledged uh, towards missions for the year ahead. I think uh, we're at something like $59,570 uh, pledged at the, at the moment. And so I just want to say thank you again for your, your pledges and your partnership in that. Uh, in, the, in the next week or two, we're going to be um, able to start communicating with our missionaries and let them know support in the year ahead. And um, so if you, if you haven't had a chance to pledge, you're still planning to do that. Uh, there's an opportunity to do that again today. Um, there'll be some forms on the welcome table. Uh, one story just to encourage you along that lines, those lines. Um, somebody shared a prayer before church last week uh, that they had made a pledge this year that uh, felt a little bit uncomfortable. It was, it, was just, it was a bit more than they felt comfortable with. And they had already seen God provide unexpectedly uh, the exact amount that they had pledged uh, in the form of a bonus at their work that they, they were not expecting to come. And so God has already provided the money to enable them to fulfill their pledge. And so I love stories like that. As you notice that in your life, make sure we share those stories just to encourage one another. Uh, the second announcement or update is just want to put on your radar Christianity Explored. Uh, it's beginning on um, Sunday lunchtime in a couple of weeks' time, the 9th of October. Uh, now, this is going to run over lunchtime, uh, this time we run the course, and according to the blurb, uh, which I wrote, we're going to have a delicious lunch as part of the course each week. So, so look forward to that. Uh, so if you're here and you're still uh, exploring who Jesus is, uh, why he came, what it means to follow him, uh, you've got a friend who would benefit from that course, uh, you've been around for a while, but you're really interested in that yourself, 
I just want to invite you, please come along. Please invite others. Uh, you can register now on the website or, or next week we'll have some invites to hand out as well. Uh, this will be our final course for this year, and so it'd be great to have a good crew of us uh, there for that. Okay, well, let's pray, and then we'll consider God's Word together. Father, thank you for the precious gift of your Word, and for the truth and life that are ours through it. Father, thank you for the precious gift of your Son, that we might know you and enjoy you now and forevermore. Please would you bless this time now. By your spirit, would you enable me to speak from your word in a way that magnifies your son? And we ask this for his sake. Amen. Well, it's hard to imagine what it'd be like knowing that you are next in line to be the king or queen. To know the responsibility that would soon be yours. To know the power and authority that would soon be yours. To know that as next in line to the throne... Today could be the day that that power and that responsibility became yours. Well, as we know, that day came in the last week or so for our new King Charles III. Uh, amidst the grief of losing not just his, his queen, but also his mum, uh, he was thrust forward into this role that he's been prepared for from the earliest age. And on that same day, uh, of course, Prince William was thrust forward to become the next, next in line to the throne. Now, I must admit, I'm still coming to grips with uh, the significance of all that's unfolded over the last week or so. Uh, I've never experienced the loss of a queen before. Uh, I've never lived under another king or queen. I don't really know exactly how to feel about the passing of Queen Elizabeth, uh, except to feel a bit sad for her, for her close family and friends and loved ones. As I've been trying to process and understand it all a little bit more, I've read a few articles and stories this week, and one of the articles I read, it did a good job of, of bringing expression to how both I was feeling, but also stirring my hope as well. And so I just want to share a little bit of it with you. In this article it says, throughout the dominions that the Queen ruled, no one under the age of 70 has known another monarch. The nature of this world is ever-changing and often uncertain, but she was a fixed point. The Queen was always part of life, Rarely front and centre in our consciousness, but always there. She connected us to our past. She'd endured the blitz of London in the Second World War. Her first Prime Minister had been Winston Churchill. Her mother had been born in the Victorian age. Everything changes, but in many ways she did not. And that's why, even though she was 96, her death feels like a shock. We knew that she would die one day, and yet perhaps part of us felt that she never would. Something in us craves the constancy, the security of something that doesn't change, of a rock you can put your foot on and know it will never move. And I appreciate this last line. It says, the queen couldn't be unchanging forever, but her feet were on a different rock. Now, I've, I've never really followed the, the royal family all that closely, but I've been encouraged this, week, encouraged this week to read of what seems to be real and genuine faith in Queen Elizabeth. And uh, particularly, it's been encouraging to read of the way she really did seek to point people to Jesus, particularly through her Christmas addresses. Uh, may many place their faith in the, in the true rock because of her words that are being replayed a lot at the moment. Well, it's, it's actually quite uncanny how well-timed Psalm 101 is for today. It's uncanny timing because as you may have picked up when it was read, the psalm before us today is all about kingship. It's what's called a royal psalm, 
And, and uh, a simple way to think of this psalm is that it provides a picture of God's ideal king. Now, believe it or not, Psalm 101 has actually been in our preaching plan for today for some months. Uh, but, and uh, even just a few weeks ago, when I started thinking about this sermon, I was like, how do I connect kingship to, to life in Australia today? It just seems so sort of distant, removed. Uh, little did I know, this would be the week everybody in Australia is thinking and talking about kingship. So in terms of an outline for today, firstly, we're going to look at the probable context of this psalm in its, in its original use and context. And I've used the word there, probable, quite intentionally. Uh, we'll explain that in a minute. Then we're going to look at the pledges we find in this psalm. Uh, you may have noticed pretty much every single line is a resolution or a pledge. Uh, has an I will, I shall statement. And then we're going to look at the placement of this psalm and in, in the book of Psalms, and in particular how its placement actually points us to the Lord Jesus. Okay, so probable context, pledges, and placement. And the second point, as you'd imagine, is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Okay, so as I said, I've titled the first point, The Probable Context. And the reason is quite simple. And it's because we actually aren't given very many details to work with in establishing the context of this psalm. Uh, this psalm, it doesn't have any notes above it to explain what it was for or when it was written. You, you might have noticed that amongst some of the other psalms. Uh, this psalm also isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible explicitly. Uh, we are told that it was written by David, and this, of course, is the David who was the king of Israel, uh, the David who wrote many of the other psalms in, that we have. And given that King David is the author and it's all about kingship, uh, Bible scholars and commentators, they, they are in reasonable consensus that, give, that this psalm was likely penned by David around the time that he came to the throne in Israel, perhaps just before, perhaps just after but that it was likely penned by him as a summary and commitment of how he was intending to rule the nation the, and, and the sort of king he was determined to be. So it's a bit like the pledges we've seen King Charles making in various contexts this week. Now, we can't be absolutely sure of that context, but that, that seems like a reasonable conclusion to draw. Okay, so that brings us to the pledges we find here. Now, by my count, there are 14 I will and I shall statements in this short psalm. And it's helpful to notice that it actually neatly splits into two groups of resolutions. In verses 1 to 4, it's resolutions concerning the king's personal life and his faithfulness. And then the second half, it's about the public administration and rule of the kingdom. Another way I've seen it outlined is David's worship and walk and David's workers and warnings. So you can run with it, whichever you prefer of those. So let's first look at the resolutions he makes concerning his personal life and faithfulness, his, his worship and walk. So the psalm begins, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. It's, it's striking, isn't it? First pledge as king is about worship. Worship of Yahweh for his character and ways. Worship of Yahweh for his unfailing, covenant-keeping love and justice. Uh, for all the priorities that this king has, for all the things that he may choose or, or have to sing about, this is what's foremost in his heart. This is the foundation for his rule. Uh, you might notice the real sense of relationship that comes through. It's not just to the Lord he's going to sing and make music. It's to you, O Lord. I will make music. It's a personal pledge to God. 
His second vow is he's going to ponder the way that is blameless. In other words, he's pledging to read and regularly reflect on God's word and ways. Uh, this is one of the, the laws that God actually decreed for his kings. In Deuteronomy 17, we read that Israelite kings were commanded to, to write their own copy of the law and to read over it regularly as part of their rule. And so David, he's resolving to do just that. I think the, the humility of David comes through in the next line. He says, oh, when, are you gonna, when will you come to me? This is a confession of dependence and, and desperation for God's presence and help. He knows he can't do it himself. And I think the next vow perhaps helps us see why he's so desperate for God's help. He's resolving to live with integrity behind closed doors too. You can only, only imagine the temptations to sin that the privacy of a palace might provide. And what does David vow? He says, I'm going to walk with integrity within my house. In verses 3 and 4, David switches from things he will do to those he won't. He says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Uh, this word worthless here, it's, it's used many times in the Bible, New and Old Testament. It's associated with idolatry, rebellion, uh, unfaithfulness, uncleanness, vileness. And here, here David's saying, I'm going to be really careful what I fill my eyes with. I'm not going to knowingly look upon anything that could steal my affection from God, from God, tempt me to sin, contaminate my heart, or distract me from God's love and God's purpose for my life. Um, this verse actually helped me with a decision I was wrestling with this week. I was due to go and see a movie with some friends, and it was an action movie. It's supposedly lots of fun. Uh, well, as I read some reviews on it, it became evident that I just was increasingly unsettled about some of the content that might have been in the movie. And, and this verse actually helped with a decision to change our plans and instead go on and play some pool for, for a bit of time instead. Uh, it turns out that was a very good financial decision for us too because none of us are any good at pool. And so for three bucks on the table, we got a really long amount of entertainment on Wednesday night. Uh, given the culture and context and time that we live, I reckon this verse is one that every Christian should commit to memory. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. In terms of the next pledge, I was trying to think of an illustration, and the one that came to mind for me was cleaning up during the floods earlier this year. Now, if you've ever participated in that, uh, you'd know that there is a particular smell that is unique to flood mud and rubbish. Uh, it's a smell that you really don't want to get on your skin or anything of value if you can avoid it because it has a habit of clinging. Now, I didn't realise how potent it was when I went and helped, up, helped out in the, in the flood cleanup after 2011 floods. And I was pretty casual about what I wore and jumping back in the car when I'd finished. And as a result, I, I drove a car that smelt like flood mud and rubbish for the next few months afterwards. On the back of that experience, this year when I went and jumped in and helped out, I was much more aware and much better prepared about that, for that. I was determined it wasn't going to cling to me. And I think that sort of determination is what David expresses here. He says, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Uh, notice David, he's not saying he hates those who fall away. What he hates is their work. And I take that to mean their deeds, their action, their behavior, their influence. He says, that's not going to cling to me. In verse 4, he then rounds out these personal resolutions. He says, A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. 
when he says, I'll know nothing of evil, he doesn't mean, I want to know about it, don't tell me about it. I'm just going to turn a blind eye to it. He's saying he's not going to participate in it and know it himself, do it himself. He's determined to live with a pure rather than a perverse heart. That's why he's going to be so careful what he fills his eyes with, so careful about what he picks up from those around him. Well, as I mentioned before, there's a, there's a change in, in focus in the, in the resolutions in the second half of this psalm. And here he turns to, to listing the resolutions concerning his rule and administration, his workers and his warnings. And rather than just walk through them one by one, I think there's actually a, a, a pattern to, to what David's put in here. And so we're instead going to work through these pledges from the outside in, in the second half. So look with me at the first and last pledges in this group. Uh, we find them in verse 5 and verse 8. It says there, Whoever slanders his neighbour secretly, I will destroy. Morning by morning, verse 8, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Yeah, I'm sure you picked up the connecting word in those verses. And this word destroy, uh, it can also be translated put to silence. So if you've got an NIV, uh, you'd, you'd see it's translated put to silence there. But whichever translation we use, when you, when you read through this psalm, it kind of catches you, doesn't it? It leaves you a bit uncomfortable as you read it. think, pretty sure I can't be made to pledge that. What am I supposed to do with, with that uh, word there? Well, if that's your instinct, just want to say, well done, that's, a, that's the right conclusion and a good question to ask. In answer to that, that question, um, two important things to grasp in this psalm. Uh, firstly, this is a, a king's vow. Uh, that's why it's, it's good to understand who the author is in the context. This is a king vowing these things. But also, we need to understand that David here, he's not literally pledging to get up each morning as king, grab his sword out and start bolting around the land, taking out evildoers. Uh, he, he is speaking here poetically. And it's best to understand these words as a pledge by the king to ensure that good judicial rule will be a feature of this kingdom. He's saying, in this land, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to evil and the hurt and destruction it brings. I'm not going to be willy-nilly in sometimes dealing with sin and sometimes letting it go. He says, in this land, if someone's going to falsely accuse somebody and slander someone or disregard the law and do evil, they will be brought to justice. Morning by morning, the judicial system will be in place. They will receive a sentence of punishment for their actions. Okay, so those are the outside pledges. Let's come next level in. Verse 5 and verse 7. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. Now, haughty just means puffed up, arrogant. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. So what's, what's going on here? What's David highlighting? Well, he's highlighting here the sort of people who are not going to find themselves with a place or a position in his house. In other words, these are the sort of people who will have no influence or no employment in the palace, in the kingdom. Uh, it's worth noting that David isn't just being uh, prudent here he's, uh, in his selection of trusted advisors. He's, he's actually aligning his house with God's heart. Uh, let me read a few verses from Proverbs to demonstrate that. It says there in, in Proverbs 6, There are six things that the Lord hates, 
seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I think we can see David's determination to line up his house with God's heart, right? And that brings us to the remaining two pledges we haven't looked at yet. We see them in verse 6. He says, I'll look with favour on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. So I think the emphasis David is bringing us to uh, is those who are going to enjoy favour and security and, and the privilege of serving the king. And notice the criteria he uses. It's not about talent or gifting uh, or popularity as the basis for this favour and influence. It's not the best of the best who are going to grace his court. It's, it's the faithful who will enjoy his favour. It's the blameless who will have the chance to minister to him uh, of being in his inner circle and helping him to lead the nation. Uh, just to clarify, when we hear the word blameless there, we might think perfectly sinless or innocent, but uh, inst instead we should understand that to mean tr trusting in God's word, seeking after him, and coming before God in repentance and confession when we, when we muck that up and get that wrong. Uh, that, that's how the Bible uses the word blameless. Okay. So that is, I know we've covered a lot of ground, but that is a br that's a brief walk uh, through this, these pledges and this psalm. Uh, there is so much more we could say, but hopefully give, that gives you a picture of what David's got in mind as we go through this. As we read all that, do you find yourself thinking, wouldn't that be an amazing kingdom to live in, right? A place where justice is administered rightly. A place where integrity is the mark of all those in leadership. Uh, a place where slandering in secret and haughtiness and arrogance are nowhere to be found. A place where policies are informed by the truth and all leaders are seeking to walk with God. A place where worship is foundational. That would be an amazing place to live, right? But I think there's something else God wants us to think about as we read and pray through this psalm. How do our lives line up with the priorities of this kingdom, with the pledges we find here? This is a king's manifesto, and, and some of the things here are king's responsibility. But I think we get that almost everything spelled out here and pointed to here is actually God's desire for all his people, not just the king. In fact, throughout the Bible, God doesn't call his leaders to a higher level of, of morality in contrast to his people. He, he does so because they're to live as an example for all the people. And so with that in mind, I just want to invite you to reflect as I ask us a few questions inspired by this psalm. Does worship of God have priority of place in our hearts like it does in this psalm? Do we give time to pondering God's word? Or is that something we never quite find time for given our responsibilities or our priorities? Are we thoughtful about what we put before our eyes? Are we careful not to fill our eyes with worthless things that can tempt us to sin and steal our affection from God or his purpose for our lives? Do we live with integrity of heart within our house? Are the words that come from our mouths those that God finds pleasing 
or those he rightly finds abominable? Has the work of those who fall away increasingly started to cling to us? I could keep going on, couldn't I? Those are some pretty searching questions, right? And I think you agree some important ones too. And if we're honest, I think there's few of us who could say we're truly say we're on track with every single one of those areas. Can I urge you, if God has stirred something in your conscience as we've been going through this today or going through that then, please don't try and just dull that and move on in, in life. Uh, that can be something we're tempted to do or even our culture and, the, and friends around us can tell us to do. Instead of that, if, if something is, stir, is stirring in you, if God's Spirit is awakening you to something... Would you appreciate his grace for bringing your awareness to that? Can I urge you to confess that sin to God and ask him for forgiveness? And can I urge you to trust also in God's grace available to you in Jesus? That because of his death on your behalf and his resurrection from the grave, God will forgive even that. He will also accept you and save you and declare you blameless. Well, on that note, let's move to our final point, the placement of this psalm. And in particular, I want us to notice how its placement actually points us to Jesus. Does it seem a bit peculiar to you that this psalm about the ideal king is located in Book 4 of the Psalms? Uh, As a reminder, Book 4 is a collection of songs being sung by God's people in exile. Uh, In other words, this is the collection of songs being sung a few hundred years after King David lived and died. Uh, This is the collection of songs that they were singing when there was no Israelite king on the throne, when they were actually under Babylonian rule in exile. Does it seem a bit peculiar to you also that this psalm made it into the book of Psalms, given that the author David clearly failed to live up to all these pledges? As I mentioned at the start, we're shortly going to look at a series on 2 Samuel. We're going to see some of the failings of of David in in a lot of detail. So we can be left to wonder, why did God's people hang on to this psalm? Why were they singing it here in exile so long after? And, And that's where we find our pointer to Jesus. You see, while King David was the one who penned this psalm, God's people understood he was actually speaking prophetically of another king still yet to come. A future son of David who would perfectly fulfill all these ideals and every other promise God made about him through every other prophet too. Uh, Now we know, of course, that that king is Jesus. Uh, We know he proved it. We know that because he proved it by his life, his deeds, and, and by fulfilling every prophecy about him even raising from the dead, which King David also prophesied in another psalm. Uh, Let me just read Peter's words uh, to this effect in Acts chapter 2. You might remember this is the first sermon Peter gives after Jesus has risen from the grave and ascended to heaven. And Listen to what he says here. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch, King David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, 
that he was not to be abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of all this we are witnesses. He goes on to say, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. As we um, wrap up this morning, I just want to leave us with three final applications that we can take away from this psalm today. First and foremost, as you read this psalm, let the pledges and promises in it fuel your longing and love for Jesus. As you read through each line, let, let your heart be captivated by the perfections of our King and the kingdom to come. Let it fill you with gratitude that he has come and will most surely come again. Let it stir your longing for that day. Oh, when will you come to me? Secondly, let the promise, when you read this psalm, let the promises and pledges in it fuel your prayers for the leaders in our lives. Uh, in his first letter to Timothy, Paul actually commands that we are to, to pray for the leaders in our lives, including kings and all in authorities. So let's use this prayer to, to, uh, to form our prayers for our leaders, including our new king. And finally, as we read this prayer, this psalm, let's let the pledges and promises of it fuel our personal lives and leadership. If, if you're new to Christianity, hopefully you've picked up by now that the good news we celebrate isn't you need to try harder or nail things perfectly if you want God to love you. The good news we celebrate is that Jesus is perfect and that we are counted perfect through faith in him, even though we know we aren't. But that doesn't mean we just disregard what God desires. In grateful love for our salvation, we respond to God's grace by seeking and striving to, to live lives that please God. We want our lives to reflect our King for our sake and His, but also so that others might come to know and enjoy the wonders and grace of His kingdom too. And so let's pray together for that now. Father, today we've considered the words of an ancient Middle Eastern king, but we know they are so much more. They are your enduring words to us. Please would you forgive us for the areas we fall short of your glory and for failing in so many areas we see here. Sorry we can be so critical of other sins and so comfortable with our own. Thank you for your steadfast love and justice, for sending the Lord Jesus to die and save us. Please grow us as people who reflect your way and truth. Please grow us as leaders who look like our king, look like you, not the world. And finally, Lord, would you bless our new king? For however long you are entrusting him with this responsibility, would he fulfill his duty with genuine dependence on you? And would his words and rule lead to many more people placing their feet on the true rock that is you, Jesus? We pray this for your sake. Amen.